Thank you for tuning in to Spill the Beans. We're here to amplify the voices of coffee farmers and roasters and share them with our fellow coffee consumers through authentic conversation. I'm your host, Farah, and I'm here to help demystify the coffee experience for producers, roasters, and consumers. We're here to ask the hard questions about coffee wherever you are in your coffee journey. Today, we are taking you to La Coupe Coffee, located in Washington, D.C. We're joined today by Juan Luis Salazar, the head roaster at La Coupe, and also the founder of a cooperative in Guatemala. We're excited to have him joined by Zoom today to talk about his mission, his focus, and where he sees the future of Guatemalan coffees. Today we're joined by Juan Luis Salazar of La Coupe Coffee over in Washington, D.C. Juan, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So La Coupe, it's a new coffee roaster. Can you tell me a little bit about it and what we should know? La Coupe Coffee, we started back in 2015, you know, after everything for me got normal in the U.S. So once I became a permanent resident, so I started a company, but everything started because I love coffee and also I have background in coffee and Americans like coffee. That we do. We definitely <laughs> like our coffee. Tell me a little bit about your background in coffee and where that came from. Sure. So I grew up in a coffee farm in, in Guatemala, but coffee farm means very small coffee plantation in Guatemala. So my family started growing uh, coffee um, a long time ago. It's mostly what farmers do in my little town in Guatemala. That's all they know what to farm. Oh, I mean, they, they grow all their stuff, but coffee is their specialty. So I grew up there and my family still lives there and they are in the uh, coffee business as well. So that's how everything started and I wanted something different. I mean, everybody stays there and, and try to grow the business there by just selling to local businesses. But I wanted to go more and export the coffee. And so uh, that's another part of the story, but I'm also an agronomist. Here in the U.S. it's a little bit like everybody asks, like, what's an agronomist? When Guatemala is like very common, I would say major uh, from college. <laughs> it's very common because most of Guatemala is agriculture. And so there are experts in agriculture that are called agronomists. If you go to college for, for that, that's what you call. And so basically everything combined came, you know, came to, for me, natural to be you know, in the coffee business. Totally makes sense. I think that you offer such a unique perspective being a coffee roaster now located in the U.S., originally coming from Guatemala. And I've seen your website and it looks like you're specifically focused on Guatemala and Guatemalan yes. coffees. Is that right? Yes. So well, the main thing is because my family is there and it's the only country I guess I know produces coffee. Well, now the States is growing some coffee in California, but, you know, Guatemala is the, is the coffee I know 
and also you know we focus on a lot on helping the farmers and those farmers and i know the struggles i know their costs i know um everything that i'm going through because i went through with them at some point in my in my life and so now being here it's a very different perspective that i can relate to and so that's why the i offer a different experience uh, when people ask me about my coffee and why they should buy my coffee i just tell them i know everything about these these beans and also the people behind them that's great and i think that in a lot of the movement in coffee right now i think there is a big focus on knowing your farmer knowing where things are coming from how does that impact the way that you're roasting the way that you're sourcing the way that you're thinking about your business and the future of your shop and your roastery mm -hmm. well it's a, a good question i usually say that i just started roasting as well when i moved to the us the only thing i knew was growing coffee and then i got into learning how to import the green bean the green coffee and then i met so many people in the us who knew a lot about this part of the business which was roasting and notes and profiles and and different flavors and smells and all of that i didn't know anything so through the years i went learning and i think what impacts the most how we roast the coffee is that we have one region, a coffee from one region in Guatemala. So we know the coffee and what, how we uh, need to roast in order to bring those flavors. And, you know, we can also be very direct in offering those, that coffee in our shop. So we can tell people, this coffee was grown by, let's say, Valdemar Velasquez or Juan Gonzalo Salazar, was my dad, by the way, he grew this coffee in this altitude, this variety. We brought this coffee last June, for example, and we are roasting it here for you. So everything is direct from the farmer to the consumer in the shop. Wow. And so one of the interesting things about the world of specialty coffee, I think a lot of consumers in what we would consider the global north. So thinking US, Europe, Australia, yes. big, big consumers of specialty yes. coffee. I know that we've talked about it on previous episodes of Spill the Beans, but I'm always curious to understand how does the concept of quality play into how you source your beans and like, what is the story behind quality for you? And what does that mean when we start un unpeeling layers of the onion and sure. looking at who the actual farmer is, the agronomy behind yeah. the actual farm and like the agriculture, it's an agricultural product that is going to be subject to changing all the time. Yeah, exactly. I would say that I'm not the you know most expert in this type of topics, but I know by firsthand when one micro lot of coffee is not as good as this micro lot. And I know the person who grew it, you know, who harvested it. 
and I know the person who harvests this other one. Why is it so different if they are neighbors? There are many factors that play into the quality of coffee, but let's start from the beginning, which is the variety that you plant. Some varieties would have like a better taste. We call it like, that's a good cup. You know, it would give you a good cup. So let's say we have Catimor produces a lot, but if you have like, I don't know, Pacamara or now these fancy varieties, which is Geisha, it's totally different. So we start with the variety. And then soil, rainfall, and climate in general. Altitude is also a good factor in quality. When you have those factors, like all combined, like good variety, good altitude, good uh, climate, rainfall, soil, you have a potential good cup. And then it's the processing part, which is, you know, you bring the coffee to your milling plant, wet mill, or if you want naturals or honey, different ways of processing. The way you do that processing also affects the quality and what you're going to get. It's also combine the first part and the processing is also good, uh, a potential good cup. And then you bring it to the US or Australia or Japan or Germany, Europe in general. And then you have the part of roasting, which those countries are experts. You know, you have many experts in that. So the roaster is the person in charge to bring that potential cup to a realization. So basically he is going to, well, since he picked that specific coffee, he knows there's a potential there. And that person is going to profile, it's going to roast, I don't know, many, 10 times maybe the same coffee in different ways to get like a, the best cup of coffee. So that's how I understand it is how um, you get that quality of coffee and many countries like let's say in Canada or Australia can have the same flavor if all this process is doing right. The topic of co-ops, we look at countries in Africa. I think Ethiopia is a great example. Up until recently, we've known those coffees just to be Ethiopian coffees or the names of the washing mills because like many coffee producing countries, they have just smaller lots of farmers. They're like heirloom lots. And I know that you've played a fundamental role in creating a co-op out in Guatemala. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what that is and um, what the purpose is and the benefits that it can offer to um, coffee producers? Sure. Yeah. And I definitely love to share that experience because like coupe coffee, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's the first, I guess, phrase for la cooperativa in Spanish which is our uh, main focus, work with cooperatives. Since that was my first experience, I, I can say that cooperatives are a way to get more value for the product. It can be any product. It can be avocado, you know, but if you're in a cooperative, you're more likely to get better prices than if you are individual, unless you are a big, big farmer. In Guatemala, we have all uh, different size uh, farmers. We have big farmers, 
medium, and we have small farmers. So cooperatives help small farmers to gather all the coffee in one place to offer the export company a direct uh, supplier for coffee and you get the prices that the middlemen will get, right? Although in that case, the exporter is still a middleman, but you already eliminated another person who would have been in the middle, which is the coyotes, we call them in Spanish. And so in 2007, I created this cooperative, it's called Asocook. And so my focus was after college, I went to work for, and remember it was an not organization, but I always heard the coffee industry was being affected for this phenomenon. So I went back to my small town and didn't have a job there, but I created this cooperative in order to show people that if you are together, you can get better prices by offering the like containers of coffee instead of offering two bags, five bags, they're not going to buy it. The exporter is not going to buy it. They're going to buy a container uh, or a truck load of coffee. And basically associations, cooperatives or groups, you don't have to be a legal group in order to offer one container of coffee. It's going to put you in, in a position to offer every year, the same quality and amount that exporters want. So they're gonna build a direct relationship with you. And that's a good way to, to do it. And that's what I think helps uh, small farmers to get better value for their product. Do you see that co-ops are playing into more direct trade within coffee importers? Or do you still find that co-ops will usually work within, with an importer and usually have a middleman? Do you see that going away? Mm-hmm. Good question, because how we started is like offering to exporters, right? But let's say a roaster in Chicago likes a certain coffee that he bought it from an importer, right? So this roaster can talk to the importer and say, I liked this coffee and I want 10 bags of this for next year. Can you get them? So the importer can directly communicate with the cooperative and buy directly. So here, the game changes because the cooperative now has a direct relationship with an importer. So what they have to do is get an export license. Export license and learn how to dry mill. This is a different milling and you need to fill paperwork, but there's always a broker that will do it for you. You just have to hire them. But then the relationship becomes more direct. Still, I think the importer is a middleman but the roster can already track what coffee he wants. You know, I like the coffee from this cooperative, but I can only buy 10 bags. I can't buy a container. So what the importer would do is talk to the cooperative and probably will have to buy a full container 
And, but the importer already having a direct relationship with the cooperative is better because importer will feel better that the cooperative members will get more money, not like big amounts, but a little bit more than if they sold it to a exporter. So little by little, the cooperative will get direct to the roster. Unlike us, we go directly to the produce, to the person who is harvesting the coffee. In the future, that's what we wanted everybody to, to do. But I mean, we're starting right now, but um, that's our dream. That's a, that's a great dream. And it sounds like you're really trying to give back to farmers, which is part of the mission of this show is to showcase and highlight ways that we can continue to give back to farmers in both social and economic ways. In our, our previous episode, we had James Harper from Filter Stories, who particularly focuses on the lives of coffee farmers and the children of coffee farmers. Mm -hmm. I think that you probably have maybe one of the most unique stories because you come as a coffee farm kid and you've come to the U.S. and now you're bringing that full cycle. Are there any stories from your childhood as a coffee farm kid that would be helpful for our listeners to understand Mm -hmm. about what it's like to live on a coffee farm where Mm -hmm you know, up until recently, there really hasn't been much focus on economic and social value for coffee farmers. Yeah, yes. Well, yeah, I have many memories, you know, growing in the coffee farm. And when you are a kid, a son of a farmer or the daughter of a farmer, the first thing you learn to do as work is harvesting coffee. So I remember that everybody starts working already have their little basket, you know, and going to with their parents to harvest coffee. I'd say probably as a game at the beginning, of course you don't, you know, work. It's kind of like a game for you when you are growing up. But as soon as you get more older, I guess, I remember probably when I was like maybe eight, nine, ten, you already get competitive with your brothers or sisters or other workers in the farm. There's always a competition like to fill up the basket as soon or faster than anybody. So you go, but you have to also harvest the right, you know, ripe of coffee. And uh, of course there are people already, you know, older people that will do it faster than you, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be the last one to fill up your little basket of coffee. And I remember with my dad was, so we have two or three months of harvesting. And those months, you know, that's going to be your job or summer job or, or whatever. But, you know, you don't start when you are 15 or 18. You start when you are 10. But like I say, I know child labor and all that stuff, you know, it's a very conflicting in other countries and in Guatemala as well. And I've seen recent documentaries talking about it and why they show it as a very bad thing. Yes and no. There are some situations where 
farmers don't see who they're hiring. They hire a bunch of people, but they don't see that there are some kids there. But also in my case, I, that's what I knew what to do. You know, I went to school and in the afternoon I would go to Harvest Coffee. But I liked it. And everybody around me liked it. All my friends liked it. Because you were 10 or 12 years old and you have your own money because you earned it or something like that. Or because you wanted to help your parents. And that's one of the main reasons in Guatemala happens when you see a lot of kids in the farms. that The kids, what they want to do is help their parents but of course in the eyes of other people it's like that's a child level and like i say yes there are cases where that happens um, but it, like i say my experience and what i uh, experienced it wasn't the case that's great and it sounds like even with the labor that you were doing as a child it didn't necessarily impact your ability to get education and which ultimately led to your degree in agronomy no, that's exactly it. But also I know cases where kids have to uh, stop school for two months because they have to go help their parents. And it's because the harvest um, work don't give the parents enough money. But the kids know, they see it, and they say like, oh, no, I'm going to help my, my dad to get more money. And so that happens as well. In my case, in my brother's, um, my siblings' case, didn't happen. Everybody went to school. Everybody went to college. Being from a small town, coffee farmer, children, everybody went to college. My youngest brother's almost in his last year of medical school. And that's a big accomplishment for, like, you know, I, a small farmer in Guatemala. But that can happen if everything is well thought and well-managed. That's awesome. So it sounds like LeCoupe is trying to pay it forward for small farmers to make sure that you're giving back to future generations. Definitely, yes. That's great. Mm -hmm. So I have a question. In Latin America, specifically in Bolivia and in Colombia, one of the biggest challenges within coffee farming is the coffee price crisis where coffee compared to other crops is much cheaper and is operating at for by and large a net loss compared to other crops and in those two countries specifically there's definitely influences of cartels who are encouraging illicit crops like coca or other crops like avocado but they do tend to be more lucrative. Do you find that in Guatemala that they're running into similar problems or do you find that it's really country dependent? It's really country dependent, as you say. We thought at one point that that was the case because there were some people coming to the small town, talking to the farmers and paying all cash, like, a hundred quetzales, which is our money in Guatemala, uh, it's about twelve dollars. A uh, hundred quetzales more than the coyote. So there were comp- there was competition between, but 
they wouldn't really care about the quality of coffee. They were just buying it and then these people will sell it to the exporter. Uh, in, in my town, what happens is that the uh, middlemen, the coyotes, are, uh, they really took over the, the town and, and they go to small farmers and they bring money from the exporter. So the exporter facilitates, you know, loans to this known middlemen and uh, they give them money because they know they're going to bring that coffee to them. That sometimes affects what the cooperative can do as well for the small farmers because they pay immediately. And the cooperative has to pay after they sell, they, they gather all the coffee and after they sell it to the exporter or the importer, if they sell it directly to the importer, let's say my cooperative as a cook sell it to coffee imports, the wait time for the money is gonna be longer. And some small farmers, they want the money as they hand the, the beans. So that's a problem. Now you were saying about a low price crisis. Um, we have two big commodities. I mean, there are many, but two big. Uh, one is the oil, the other one is coffee. And one is first and the other one second. But if you compare the countries that produce oil, all those are rich countries, or I mean, better than the countries that produce coffee because there are so many small, very small farmers. And a farmer like my dad, small farmer, don't, he doesn't need his price to be driven by wh whoever impacts the stock exchange. My dad is just working in order to feed his uh, family or any other small farmer. So what we are trying to focus on is like, not care about, you know, who is driving the coffee prices. I pay my dad and other farmers the same exact amount. I mean, it depends on the inflation, but the amount that we know is going to be at least double than the cost to produce a bag of coffee. So I know how much it is, so I can easily double the amount. And by doubling it, I'm not, I, I, I hope not, but I'm not going bankrupt by just doubling the amount that I'm paying. So anybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do it because that's less money for their packets here. So that's how we are trying to influence in the prices in our case. That's great. I think the question comes up for those of us who are coffee consumers. As we think about our consumption behaviors and the ways that we probably need to change, what can we do as consumers, in your opinion, to make sure that we're doing right by these farmers and making sure that they're being compensated fairly for mm -hmm. all of the hard work that they're doing to get us through our mornings? Sure. sure. Well, I think one of the situations that we have seen that helps a lot is that our customers really care about where their coffee comes from. 
and the quality of the coffee. So what I think would a, a consumer can do to help farmers is maybe not just donating money, right? Uh, you don't know. I mean, if you want, if you're willing to do it, you can do it. But really ask, where do the coffee come from? Does the producer get enough money for the, the coffee? Or do the people who harvest the coffee, you know, get enough for what they, the, the work they do? I guess you, can't, you cannot ask those questions every time but at least uh, have like a, an idea of what, you know, or how you can help the farmers by maybe choosing a local roster instead of like the big chains in the f- supermarket. Maybe at this, you know, these times that we are living, maybe not put your, a bag of coffee from the supermarket in your Instacart, right? Matter, maybe wait, for that coffee to order from the local roaster or a roaster that you might know that have better, you know, relationship with the farmers. That's awesome. And we're in, of course, really unprecedented times right now where I think no matter what country you are in, with the exception of New Zealand, I think all of us are at this point of facing this coronavirus crisis, which we look at hospitality industries in every single country, and we also look at all of our food supply chains. I'm curious as to if you have any perspective as to how the COVID crisis has impacted the supply chains within coffee and how that might be impacting the future of coffee. That's a very good question. I try to talk to my you know, dad or my family in general, like every two, three days to see how everything is going. And I would say, luckily, this crisis started after the harvest, you know, ended in my country. Because I think the, what's going to be affected is the prices of the supplies that you need every year, like fertilizer or transportation those are going to be probably effective for the next season. Any supply that you would need for the coffee, for the coffee farm, would be affected, I think. And I mean, right now we don't know when that's going to, I don't know if it's going to be normal, but in the harvest season, the people who harvest the coffee, they're not actually together, like in factories. They're spread out in the farm. So I think it's a better way. I think they're going to figure out something to make sure they don't come in contact. They are keeping their social distance. Here in this part of the business, we have um, been getting more orders online because people are home and they're drinking more coffee. So that's one positive of this bad situation. But also shops, coffee shops are being really affected because you know, people are not you know, going to the shops, but it's uh, everywhere. Definitely makes sense, the economic ripple effects. And do you think that as we think about the 
export costs and the gate costs and probably increases and in everything in the supply chain. Do you foresee coffee prices in a country like the U.S. or maybe anywhere in mm -hmm. Europe where they're importing these coffees? Do you think that the value, the prices that consumers are paying are going to be increasing? Or do you think that we're going to be in a space where farmers might end up getting the short end of the deal again? Well, farmers are going to get the worst every time because the people in this side make sure they know they're smart in order to not get as affected. If they invest in more in equipment, right? If, if let's say that they hire 15 people before, but instead of hiring 15 people, they buy a machine to do the work, right? They're going to increase the prices because they have to recover the cost for the machine. So when they recover the cost, the price that, I don't know, the importer is gonna pay to the uh, farmer is going to be probably the same or less. So, I think farmers are going to get the, the worst in this situation. Hopefully not. And uh, I mean, at least I'm going to make sure that my farmers get the same exact amount because they're probably going to get crushed also in prices of fertilizer or other supplies they need. The coffee transport is, you know, pretty much machinery focus. I mean, you put a lot of coffee in one container. The container is moved by another machine. It, you need very little people to bring coffee to the States. So hopefully, you know, this crisis doesn't affect the amount of people that need to be working in the, in the place. And that's awesome. That's, that's great. It's probably mm -hmm. a question on... Um, everyone's mind. Well, this was, this was really helpful. I really appreciate all the unique perspectives and the insights. For our listeners, what is the best way if we wanted to purchase um, anything from LaCoupe? How would we go ahead and do that? So in our website, lacoupecoffee.com, and we only, right now we only offer beans, and it's very easy. Just go to the shop, and then you're going to see our beans. We deliver for free locally in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, where we are. But we have been shipping all over the states. That's awesome. Do you have a physical shop when uh, things are back to normal? Or are you looking to put in a physical shop within the D.C., Arlington, Virginia area? So, yes, it's northwest of Washington, D.C. And it's where we also are going to have our roster in the shop. And we also do farmer's markets in the area. That's awesome. That's great. So to our listeners in DC, definitely check them out. And for our listeners throughout the US, get some bags. I know I've been brewing at home a lot. So hopefully you'll be able to enjoy some delicious Guatemalan coffees on whatever method you love to make it on. Thank you so much, Juan. We really appreciate the time today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for the interview.
We hope you enjoyed today's coffee conversation. This podcast was produced by Farah Qureshi and Carlos Guzman. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and rate this podcast. If you especially liked what you heard, please find coffees that resonate with you and continue to give back to your communities in more ways than just your productivity at work. Tune in next time to spill the beans with us.